So we're making our way through the book of Numbers, and we have arrived at chapter 12, and uh, I'm not sure exactly how far we're going to get, but I'm, I'm prepared to go through chapter 17. We'll just see how the time goes. And we're following this generation that came out of the land of Egypt, delivered with the mighty, outstretched hand of God, humiliated the gods of Egypt, brought them through the wilderness, and as we come into our study tonight, we're going to see them come up to the promised land, the, the, the border. They're actually going to go in to the promised land. At least a, a segment of them, a representative body, is going to go into the promised land. And we'll, we'll see how that plays out. So as the Lord has promised, so he is about to do for them. One of the things we're going to see, though, as we work our way through Um, this next section, chapters 12 through 17, is that Moses is going to be challenged um, and Aaron on multiple occasions. And uh, so the Lord is going to speak of his approval of his man, Moses. In chapter 12, the challenge comes from an unlikely source. It's going to come from his brother and sister. And it's because he's going to marry somebody they don't like. I'm sure that's never happened in your family's history, but it happened back in, back in those days. And so he's going to marry somebody, and um, they are not going to be pleased with that. So let's begin reading in chapter 12, where Moses' authority is challenged by his family. Then Miriam and Aram spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. So they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also, as the Lord heard it? And the Lord heard it, excuse me. That's, always, that's the problem with saying stuff, isn't it? The Lord hears what we say. It's good to remember. I don't know if this is true or not, but this is an illustration that I heard. I've never sought to verify it, so it's easy enough to do, but it just popped in my head. There was a time where there was like some, um, a, a television program had, was um, went out and I think it said like it was howdy duty time and then all of a sudden like years later this this signal this wave ended up coming back in and the best they could do is just was out there and it bounced back off of something but the idea that your words are out there is kind of a <laughs> it's kind of an interesting thing isn't it and we know that we're going to be given have to give an account for those things that we say so they're speaking and the Lord heard it Sarah laughed and the Lord heard it and she said I didn't laugh he says "Mm, I think you did you did laugh I heard you so they they're speaking against him and the Lord heard it verse 3 now the man Moses was very humble look at this more than all men who were on the face of the earth that's pretty amazing isn't it that's that's the Lord who's speaking of him suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in the pillar of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. Then he said to them, hear now my words. Is there a prophet among you? I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision, I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face, even plainly, and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord, Yahweh. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, and he departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, suddenly Miriam became leprous, as white as snow. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was, a leper. So Aaron said to Moses, O my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us, in which we have done foolishly, in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one of the dead, whose flesh is half consumed, when he comes out of his mother's womb. So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, please heal her, O God, I pray, 
Then the Lord said to Moses, if her father had, uh, had but spit in her face, would she not be shamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and afterwards she may be received again. So Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not journey until, or until Miriam was brought uh, in again. So everybody knew. You can imagine it was the talk of the camp. Why aren't we moving? Well, because of Miriam. Why? What's, what's up with Miriam? Well, she's outside of the camp. Why is she outside of the camp? Because she has leprosy. Why does she have leprosy? Well, she spoke against her brother. And she sinned against the Lord. After And afterward, the people moved from Hazareth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. So his authority is challenged and the Lord comes to his defense. And it's a good thing to let the Lord defend you, isn't it? Um, I remember Pastor Chuck saying, if you try to defend your name, this, Satan will take notice of that. And all you will do for the rest of your life is defend your name. Let the Lord be your defense. And I think that's, that is some good wisdom. He cares about you. You are his servant. And people will say things, and there's a place to talk about it, but you, know, you can't go around trying to defend your name at every turn. And so the Lord stands up, and he, he brings defense to his, his servant Moses. In Psalm 105, verse 15, we read, Do not touch my anointed ones, and do my prophets no harm. So this is something that she had sinned against. I think David is the, is the perfect model of how to deal with this. Of course, Moses had done nothing wrong, so says God. Moses was a meek man, the meekest, so says God, and yet they were upset with him um, and spoke against him. But if you look at David, everything's kind of in reverse order, isn't it? David was the one that was called of the Lord, but Saul, he was one that um, was the king and was trying to kill him. He was a liar. He was, uh, he was not a good guy. He was not a good king. And yet, when David had the chance to take his life, he wouldn't touch him. So I'm not going to touch him because this is a Lord's guy. And so he had, um, he had this wisdom. Now, this doesn't mean that Leaders can't be wrong, and if they're in sin, they shouldn't be called out for what they've done. The New Testament talks about how that's supposed to happen, but this is, this is a good warning uh, for all of us to think before we begin to speak against the Lord's servants. And I don't just mean leadership, but I mean just any other servant. As, you know, it's so easy for us to talk and complain and grumble. And just remember that the Lord hears you when you say that. Have you ever... Don't raise your hand. But have you, ever, have you ever heard somebody talking about your family and they didn't know you were there? Yeah, how do you feel? Well, the Lord is righteous and he loves you with a perfect love. The Lord will take care of you. And so it's a good thing for us to remember. So she holds up the, the journey of the whole congregation for one week. That's not the end of the world. But it is illustrative of the fact that when we are doing the wrong thing and when we are in sin, it is going to have an impact upon those around us. The idea that when you sin, it harms nobody else is the enemy's lie. That is not a truth from Scripture. When you sin, even if you are all by yourself and it impacts seemingly nobody else, it impacts the family of God. It grieves the spirit of God. And so it can hold up what he would want to do. Well, as we move into chapter 13, they come to the promised land and they're gonna survey it. They're gonna take a look at it. This is one of the, the key chapters of the Old Testament, by the way. Um, Hebrews, we've referred to this a lot as we've gone through the book of Hebrews. So we read here, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan which I am giving to the children of Israel from each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran according to the command of the Lord and all the men who were the heads of the children of Israel. And then you get the list of names. 
And I'll let you read all of those. But these guys, you know, as you're reading, I think, wow, it's great that their name's in there. But actually, all but two of these names are going to become names of cowards. They're going to be faithless men who end up turning the heart of, an, of you know, millions of people away from God's promise, a promise, an ancient promise given to Abraham some 400 years earlier or more. And they, these, their names are right there. Those are the guys. This is not a good list to have your name in. Now, Joshua and Caleb are going to be in there, but they are going to be of a different sort. So 12 names, 10 of them are going to um, uh, lack faith, and they're going to discourage the faith of others. So God had told them that they're going to give them the land. This land was first promised to Abraham in Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 through 17. So you can just kind of just write that down as a reverence. And there the Lord says, hey, walk the, walk the land, this land, wherever you walk, this is the land I'm giving to you. This is right after he separates from Lot. And so he says, here's the land. Go take a look at it. So now here we are in Numbers 13, hundreds of years later, and they're actually now about to go in and see the land, this generation, for the very first time. But why did they have to wait so long? From the promise given to Abraham in Genesis 13 to now 1446 BC, why, why so many years? Why hundreds of years? Centuries have elapsed. And there is a really good answer for that. And I, and I guess really there's two questions. Why did they have to wait so long? And is it right that they were going to go into a land that had inhabitants and they were going to dispossess them from that land. So there's an answer for both of those. First of all, in Genesis 15, 16, the Lord speaking to Abraham says, but in the fourth generation, so they're gonna go down, his, children, you know, his descendants would go to Egypt, he says, but in the fourth generation, they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Write this down. Know where this verse is because you're going to run into somebody who's going to question the love of God, the kindness of God, the, the justice of God, uh, the veracity of the word of God because Israel is going to go in and going to dispossess these people from the land. So why so long? Because God was, these people, God was still giving them space to repent Right? He's long-suffering. He is patient. He's not willing that any should perish. But he knows what's going to happen. He says, well, your, your descendants are going to be down there for four generations because I'm not going to bring them into the land until their iniquity is ready to be judged. So he gives them generation after generation in the promised land, um, the inhabitants, the Canaanites and the Perizzites and all the rest, to repent, and they don't. They never do. So the day was going to come when it would be complete and when it would be full. And so that day comes in chapter 13, but it's going to be delayed by 40 more years after this. We'll find out. In Leviticus chapter 18, verses 27 through 29, I think we get the answer to the, the second part of that question. Was it right that they would dispossess the people for inhabiting this land? Is this like you know, is this kind of just like, you know, ethnic favoritism here? Is this, what is this? Is this racism? Is this, you know, bigotry from God? No, God is going to hold them to the same standard in the land as he held these people to. In Leviticus 18, verses 27 through 29, it says, For all these abominations the men of the land have done, who were before you, and thus the land is defiled, lest the land vomit you out also when you defile it as it vomited out the nations that were before you. For whoever commits any of these abominations, the persons who commit them shall be cut off from among their people. So this isn't some, this is a matter of righteousness. It's a matter of judgment. And Israel, 
is going to be dispossessed from the land. They're going to be overrun by their enemies, and you will read it over and over and over again. Read Judges. You get that cycle. You can read through Jeremiah. You can read through Isaiah. You can read through Ezekiel, and you will see all of these nations that come, and God uses those nations to bring judgment upon the children of Israel once they actually get into the land because they commit the same abominations. So this is not unfair, this is not unjust. God wants all people to walk in righteousness. The difference between the generation that was driven out and the, generation, and, and the children of Israel is that God gives them a promise that if they were to repent, that he would bring them back into the land. And so when they repented, read Daniel chapter nine if you like, to read one of the prayers, of, many prayers of repentance. But in Daniel chapter nine, you can read of that prayer of repentance coming back into the land after 70 years, and the Lord brings them back in because they repented. There was a promise that was associated with it. The one thing that we see from Genesis 15, 16 about the inhabitants of the land is they never repented. They never repented, and so, um, the Lord gave this promise to them. So I, you often will hear people challenging um, the word of God because of this point. So just a little bit of background to understand it. Um, it was sin. They were, they were committing terrible atrocities against each other and were in full-on rebellion against the Lord and the Lord judged them. He is the God of the universe and he can do that. He can do that. He can bring judgment. And so that's what we see is going on. In verse 21, um, let's see how far I don't want to go down. Let's pick up, let's pick up at um, verse 17. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many. Whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds. Of course, we know Jericho is going to be a stronghold, right? Whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests there or not, be of good courage. That's going to be the failure right there. They're not going to be of good courage. And bring some fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went out, went up, excuse me, and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zim as far as Rehob, near the entrance of Hamath. So they're, they're gonna be, they're at Kadesh Barnea. If you could put up that slide, here's a picture of what we think the region of Kadesh Barnea would have been. And then the next slide gives you an idea of where they're going to go. So that red line begins at Kadesh Barnea and it goes all the way up to um, Lebo Hamath. So that's, they, they, they traversed the country. They got to see it. They walked right up the middle of it. And so they went in, and the Lord said, I want you to go evaluate it. Are they strong? Are they weak? Is it rich? Is it poor? Is it strongholds? Is it just little villages? Go check it out. Verse 26, um, they go, and we read the report as they came back. Well, verse 25, and they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now when they had departed and came back to, the, to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them and said, we went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. The crowd cheers, you know, yeah. <laughs> Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. And the, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea, and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. Not really, but that's really what he's gonna say. That's, that's not what's written here, but that's, that's what he would have said in essence. Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Man, he's just, he's, He's a being of you know, good courage, isn't he? He has every confidence 
And he says, let's do it now. Let's not hold back. Verse 31, but the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants and were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. So when they went through this land, they were to look at the fruit of it and they were to look at the challenges of it. Ten of the men looked at the challenges and said, we will not dare step foot in it. Two of them, we heard from Caleb here, but Joshua's on his team too. They're like, no, we can, we can go up. The Lord will give us this land. But the 10 end up persuading the rest. But what they end up seeing is giants in the land. And they give this terrible report. It can't happen. It will never happen. There's this problem. There's that problem. And so fear comes. Now listen. I'm sure it would have been intimidating to see giants. I'm sure it would have. And the question is, is it really giants? Yeah, we just read it. There really were giants. And of course, you have some that have turned this into like, um, uh, they've taken and they ran, you know, legends from other cultures and stuff. Maybe even some well-meaning believers, I don't know, but they've turned it into hyperbole and they've made these guys like just like, like, you know, Jolly green giant type of giant, you know, and and we get some references to how big they actually are in the Bible. And you have a ha- that handout, which is for you to read on your own. It's kind of a quick survey of different references, different names. We read Anak. Um, you can also um, the Nephilim. Um, you also read of the Rephaim. These are all names, and as you follow it through, you can see that they they all are referring to giants. The first mention of giants is in Genesis chapter six, before the flood, verse four. We read, and I want you to notice something. Genesis six, verse four. It says, there were giants, Nephilim on the earth in those days. And what's the next phrase? And also afterward. You've read this before, but I wonder, have you ever Notice that little phrase right there? And also afterward. This is interesting to me. Because this is just before the great flood. And we know that there was only eight that made it through. And none of them were these guys. And yet they're afterward as well. And you could, I'm not going to go into all of it. You, you can go, we've talked about it before. But yeah, this is... This is an interesting thing, and there's divided opinions about it. So this is the first mention, though. Um, And there are giants not only in Noah's day, but also afterward, and we just read about it there in Numbers chapter 13. And Deuteronomy, we'll get there in a few weeks, chapter 3, verses 11, and then verse 13, we're going to be introduced to a giant. We get his name. His name is Og, king of Bashan. And he's, so he's there. And this guy has a bed that is 13 and a half feet long. That's a big guy. I mean, it's not Jolly Green Giant big, but it's still a really big guy. In Amos chapter two, verse nine, the prophet speaks of how God destroyed the giants that were as tall as oaks. In 2 Samuel 21, verses 16, 18, and 20, It refers to David's mighty men who killed giants. And of course, the most famous giant of them all is who? Goliath. First Samuel chapter 17, verses four through seven. You read that he's a descendant of Anak. So he's living with the Philistines, and um, we don't think that the Philistines were were giants, but he was among them. So um, yeah, you can just go read this. It's an interesting thing. Um, that's out there, and Israel had to deal with them. He had to fight them. Um, I am of the opinion that 
They were even were, were trying to corrupt the bloodline so the seed could never come. That's my opinion of the Genesis 6 thing, but that's, you can talk to me later about it. Um, so I think, you know, some people want to almost dismiss that they, this is really the, they were really there. And it's like, no, I mean, we got the height of, we're told, you know, Goliath's over, you know, it was nine and, you know, um, nine feet, nine or something like that. You got a bed that's 13 and a half feet long. I mean, we're, we're, given, we're given actual measurements of them. We, we know the weight of Goliath's armor. We know how much the tip of his spear weighed. Does anybody know how much the tip of his spear weighed? 15 pounds, right? So, I mean, we're given a lot of detail. This is not just poetic. Now, sometimes they're talked about in the midst of poetic language, but we're also given like real numbers and details. So this was a group that they had to deal with. And this is the group that discourages the heart of the 10. Some people looked at him and said, let's go get them, boys. And the other 10 looked at him and said, are you out of your mind? We don't want anything to do with these guys. They, they will eat us for lunch, right? They devour. We were like little tiny grasshoppers around them. We look like grasshoppers, and they thought we looked like grasshoppers. I think this is one of the, the big problems, grasshopper mentality, <laughs> that it still exists today. And God calls us to do things. He calls us to step out, and we get fearful. There in verse 30, 1330, Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and take possession. What's that? It's ours. This is a word that speaks of inheriting that which is yours. It can also mean to dispossess. It can mean to drive out. But it also speaks of inheriting a possession. And, and, and really, I mean, it, you can see it in many different ways. But this was theirs. It was theirs to go get. God was going to be with them. He told them, don't get afraid. Be of good courage. And yet, they were overcome with fear. And we'll see what the ultimate consequences of that fear is in just a moment. But what is it that we are told that we should do. Are we to walk by faith or are we to walk by sight? By faith. We, we walk in faith. We walk in a trust in what God has said and what God has promised and what God has led us into. And we don't walk by sight. They're walking by sight. Now God says, evaluate it. Well, should have they just ignored it? Should they not known and run it? No. The Lord wants them to go and see it and then he wants them to come back like Joshua and Caleb and like, listen, we're, let's go do it tomorrow. I'm a, let's run in, you know, and actually 40 years later when they're coming into the promised land, Caleb, um, one of only two men that was, uh, you know, older, Joshua being the other at this time, lived through the whole wilderness wandering. We'll talk about more about that in just a moment. But when he gets in there, he's some 80, what is he, 88 years old or something like that? And they're like, all right, we're going to give you this nice little valley that you can go and kind of retire by. Caleb, he goes, are you kidding me? I was promised the mountain where the big guys were. Give me the mountains. Don't give me the easy way out. He was a man that was full of faith on this day, and 40 years later, he was still thinking about what God was going to do, and he didn't back down. There's so much to learn from this guy. We don't have a lot of information about him, but what we do have, like, yes, we need to be more like him. We need more Caleb's, more Joshua's that, that look at the situation and they know what the word of the Lord is. Is this just, you know, bravado? Is this just, he's like, you know, he has too much testosterone running through his system? And No. God said, this is going to be your land. He's acting and believing upon a promise from God. This isn't just, you know, him being, you know, pounding his chest. He believes in God. He saw the ten plagues in Egypt. He saw the Red Sea. He saw the manna. He saw the water from the flinty rock, right? He saw the quail. He saw all of these things. And as he looks at it, he's like, God can do this. So this isn't just, you know, run out and do something 
you know, that's ill-advised and then call it faith. And sometimes that happens. But you know what, if I had to take my choice, I'd rather be around somebody like that than somebody that's going like, no, we can't do it. And that's all they ever say is we can't do it. Because a person who runs ahead and finds out they ran ahead, they'll figure it out and they'll learn when to run ahead. But I think we can become so timid, we can become so cautious, we can be so afraid of failure that we never step out. And yet, I mean, look what we're reading. You should read through the, the Old Testament scriptures. It is a perpetual uh, walk of going into things you can't do. And God says, I'm going to do for you. So important. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26 through 29. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many, this is not going to help your self-esteem, by the way. Um, you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world. If you're chosen by God, raise your hand. Okay, you're a foolish thing. He's chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? Why would he choose to do that? That no flesh should glory in his presence. Who gets the glory because you've been chosen? God. He gets the glory. Because you're base, you're not wise, you're not noble, you're not mighty. You're a foolish thing. You're a weak thing. You're a base thing. And those says, I want to use you and this is what he's doing with the nation of Israel. This is not an army of, you know, a nation that's, you know, they're just barely, you know, out of, the, out of Egypt. They're a nation of slaves. This is not a well-trained army. They're going to go take on giants and walls like Jericho. But see, they're, they're thinking, you can just imagine it. They're thinking, well, there's no way we can do that. Did you see the walls in Jericho? Caleb, how are, they, how are you going to get over that wall? I want to know. Tell us all right now. Caleb, Joshua, how are we going to deal with the walls? And, you know, the thing, we, we know how he deals with them. The Lord says, well, we're going to walk around for seven days, and on the seventh day, we're going to do it seven times, and we're going to blast the trumpets, and the walls are going to fall down. Ridiculous. That would never happen. What kind of crazy fool are you? But you see, God gets the glory. We don't read about Jericho and says, that was those were some trumpet players, right? I mean, wow. They, I don't know what kind of trumpets they were. And I don't know how, what their lung capacity was, but it must have been amazing. Nobody reads that story and thinks that. We all are like, wow. God's power. God's strength. God calls us into uncomfortable circumstances so that he can show up and show his strength off. But we've got to be willing to walk into those uncomfortable, those dangerous, those unknown places without strength, without wisdom, without might, without nobility, and just watch what God wants to do. And just step out and say, well, let's give it a try. Let's see what the Lord will do. Uh, you've heard me talk about this. One of my favorite stories of the Old Testament, Jonathan and his armor bearer, right? Jonathan... And the, you know, the armies of Israel are um, waiting to fight the armies of the Philistines and his dad is sitting around not leading and, and Jonathan has faith like David and he says, you know what, to his armor bearer, you know what, God doesn't need the whole army. You know, we could just go up there and if God wants to, he could deliver the whole army into our, our hands. It may be that he will deliver the army into our hands. What do you think? Should we go get him? And his armor bearer says, are you nuts? Are you crazy? Two of us against the whole? No, that's not what he says at all, is it? He says, do all that is in your heart. I am with you. And, and, and this is what we need. We need to be strong leaders in our homes, in our community, you know, within the church. We need to be strong leaders. And then we need to come around those that say, I'm going to step out. I'm going to go for it. 
And we'll see what happens. And this is, this is what the Lord does. This is the whole lesson behind, and I'll leave it for you to read, but Judges chapter seven, verses one through seven. It's Gideon when he goes out. When God calls Gideon, is he sharpening his sword? Is he going through his battle moves out there on the field? What is he doing? He's hiding. And the Lord says, hey, mighty man of valor. Um, you came to the weakest tribe, to the weakest clan, to the weakest man. You came to the bottom of the barrel. Perfect. That's why I'm here, because I knew that you are that guy, that you are a big nobody. That's why I want to use you. Because when you get victory, nobody's going to think, well, yeah, of course, it was Gideon. Everybody's going to like go, Gideon? Gideon led that army? And even when he had the men rally together to go to war, the Lord looked down at that army and he said, there are too many. And he lowered the numbers. He lowered the ranks from 10,000. Um, and I well, actually started out at 22, I went to 10,000, and then when he was all said and done, he ended up with an army of 300. They went against the Midianites who you could not even number. And God gave them victory. Why? So that God could get the glory. And so I don't know what it is that maybe God has called you to do, but do it. Yeah, but how? No, 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 no. That's walking by sight. Walk by faith. Has God told you to do it? And if you have a sense that he's told you to do that, a strong maybe, like Jonathan, hey, it may be that we win. Well, maybe we lose, but maybe we win. But I'm willing to try it. Let's, let's go. Let's step out and see what happens. Don't you think this got to please the Lord? Even if we're kind of like we got it wrong a little bit? I think the Lord would much rather redirect a a, somebody that's walking in, in belief and faith than somebody who is just sitting still saying it can never happen, it can never happen, it can never happen. I don't like to be around people like that. Just, you know, if you're like that, don't tell me, then I won't mind being around you. But I don't like to be around people. They're just like, can't do it, can't do it, we can't do it. It's like, ah, don't tell me we can't do it. Don't tell me that, because... <laughs> If I responded to everything that I was told that we couldn't do, we wouldn't be here. Warner family would not be here. I was told, I've told you before, but I mean, even before I landed here, I was told, don't go to Lynchburg. I don't even think the guy was a believer. And he's like, oh, you know, we're on the plane talking about stuff. My first time ever to come to Lynchburg, Virginia. And he's like, he goes, well, where are you going? And I go, to Lynchburg. He goes, oh, the city of churches. More people attend church per capita in the city of Lynchburg than any other town in America. Really? This is, I, you can't Google it, you know, in 1940, 19, no, 1994. <laughs> Couldn't do it in 44 either. I'm still right. So, but in 1994, you know, you can't go. I'm like, and at that moment, I was like, I don't want to go there. I, I, I don't want to go to that place. First thing I did when I arrived to Joe and Jeannie Palmer's house, I said in the morning, I said, hey, could I, um, could I see a phone book? And I got the yellow pages out. Who knows what yellow pages are? And so I got the yellow pages out and I started going through all of the churches. And I, had, I counted them up. There was, it was right around 300 in 1994. And I, I remember I, I said to him, I said, there's a lot of churches in this town. And so we began to have the conversation. But you know, the, the, guy, the guy said, you know, don't do this. I mean, I had so many people say, go home. I have, a pastor told me the day we were putting their sign up at that little building just over there, he said, you need to leave town as fast as you can. So, I mean, and I could give you a, a long list of people from, I mean, everything we ever rented, everything we ever bought, every building, every venture, there's always been somebody who said, you, you, can't, you can't do it. This is a bad idea. Be, I'm like, well, we've prayed. We sought the Lord, and, you know, the elders have unanimous faith in this. So if we're wrong, we're going to be wrong big. And, um, you know, so that, that's, that's what we did. I'm... Uh, 
Yeah, I, I remember when we were moving over here and I announced it to the church that we were coming over and this was a huge step of faith from where we were and we're gonna buy this shopping center and this is what we're gonna do. And, and I said, I said, and I said, if I'm wrong, I'm gonna be wrong big in front of all of you. And I still remember what Wendy came up afterwards and she said, it's okay, let's go for it and let's see what's happened. We're gonna love you anyways. So she, she was my armor bearer that day that just was like, do it. I'm like, yes. And the Lord was in it. Did we have facts that, this, you know, we, had, we didn't know. And then, you know, we get into it and, you know, COVID starts and I'm like, oh my gosh, you've got to be kidding me. Lord, why would you do this to me? What did I do wrong, you know? And then the Lord decides to just bless it through that season. So listen, I give you all kinds of examples of this, and I just want you to hear it from the word of God, maybe illustrated a little bit from my own life, but I want you to know if God's telling you to do something, you gotta go do it. And you don't wanna wait in, until you're at the end of your life and saying, I wish I would've done it. I wish I would've done it. Have I stepped out and done some things that you know, the Lord wasn't in? You know, good motives, right heart. I can give you a long list of those too. Like, well, that wasn't it. Let's just redirect. Let's, let's regroup. Let's move out in a different way. And so, but I think this is one of the major reasons why people don't serve. I think this is one of the major reasons why people don't walk in their spiritual giftedness. Not just a crazy idea, like in your giftedness. You're, you're born again. You're given a spiritual gift from heaven to you to be utilized for spiritual purposes for the kingdom of God. And yet, why is it that they're so hard to get people to use their spiritual gifts? I mean, I, I, I don't think it's because, well, they're lazy. Well, okay, maybe somebody's lazy, but I don't think that's the number one reason. I think the number one reason is because you feel like a grasshopper and you think everybody else looks at you as a grasshopper. Now, the latter is probably true. They will look at you and they will look down at you. But why are you looking at that? If God's given you a spiritual gift and he's placed his Holy Spirit upon you, is this all about you and me or is this about him and his kingdom and glory? God is glorified in that we bear much what? Fruit. So my advice to you is to get on your knees, seek the Lord, find out where he's moving you, where he's pointing you, and, and quit waiting. And just go for it and step out and see what the Lord is. Yeah, but I don't know how it's all going to come together. Of course you don't know. That's why it's so much fun. You want an adrenaline rush? Step out in faith. Get with Jonathan and his armor bearer and go up to the Philistines and say, hey, you guys, you want to fight? <laughs> you know what I mean, basically. <laughs> that'll give you an adrenaline rush. And you'll wait and see what God is going to do. And so... Yeah, this is, this, is, this is what's going on with them. But we can't do it. We're not strong enough. They're too big. And all of the reasons why. Well, chapter 14, we come in. We see that Caleb just continues to be a man full of faith. It says, so all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or only if we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord, I mean, specific, look at it, the Lord is all capital, which means the covenant name of God. Why has Yahweh brought us, brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Family concerns. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt. So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. And Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephna, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, the land, we, you can just hear the emphasis. I don't know how it sounds to you, but it's like, these gnarly guys with loud voices says, the land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, and the answer is he does, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. 
only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. We're not, they're not going to devour us. We're going to devour them. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them, but they're giants. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Wow. Not only are they unwilling to go, they can't be encouraged, and now they want to commit murder. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people reject me? And how long will they not believe me? With all the signs which I have performed among them, I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. And Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear it, for by your might you brought these people up from among them, and they all will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you are Lord, that you, Lord, are among these people, that you, Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands above them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So the, the news reports are out, right? The, it's in all the headlines of how God is with them. Now, if you kill these people as one man, then the nations which have heard of your fame will speak, saying, because the Lord was not able to bring this people to the land which he swore to give them. Therefore, he killed them in the wilderness. Lord, it's about your glory. And now I pray that the power of my Lord be great, just as you have spoken, saying, and where does he get this from? When he was, saw the glory of the Lord there in the cleft of the rock, the Lord is long-suffering and abundant in mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he by no means clears the guilty, visiting the iniquity of our fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. You've been doing it since we left. Just like keep on doing it, Lord. And the Lord said, I've pardoned according to your word. It's like, well, that was easy. I mean, was it that his prayer was just like perfect? Well, it's a really good prayer. But this is the exact prayer that the Lord wants him to pray. Everything he prays is exactly what the Lord has taught him about himself. And so it's an interesting exchange. It challenges there are a lot of people, but I, I, listen, the way I look at this, it's not like God's having a bad day and Moses is having a good day and he changes his mind. It's that we get to see Moses intercede for these people and see his true heart. And the nature of God does not change. And so he is always one that's long-suffering. Verse 21, but truly as I live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord because all these men who have seen my glory and the signs which I did in Egypt in the wilderness have put me to the test now 10 times and have not heeded my voice. They certainly shall not see the land of which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who rejected me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he is a, has a different spirit in him, a good thing to underline and ask the question in the margin, do I have this spirit? has followed me fully. I will bring him, I'll bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit. Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwell in the valley. Tomorrow turn and move out into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. So turn around, turn, the, do a U-turn. I'm not taking you in. We're not gonna do that. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, how long shall I bear with this evil congregation to complain against me? I have heard the complaints which the children of Israel make against me. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, just as you have spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. The carcasses of you who have complained against me shall fall in the wilderness. All you who are numbered according to your entire number from 20 years old and above, except for Caleb, son of Jephna, and Joshua, the son of Nun, who shall by who shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. But your little, one, little ones, whom you said would be victims, I will bring in. So you're worried about your family? Well, guess what? They're gonna come in and you're not. 
and all of you are going to die out in the wilderness. And you know, this, <laughs> um, his, his use here, we're gonna see the word carcasses come up over and over, and it's like, it's meant to sound exactly in Hebrew like it sounds, you know, if somebody says, you know, and referred to you in, in your carcass, it's like, yeah, okay, that's kind of a little, a carcass? I mean, that's what you're saying? And this is what the Lord, it's meant to be kind of a little shocking. But as for you, your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness, and your sons shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years, and bear the brunt of your infidelity until your carcasses are consumed in the wilderness, according to the number of the days in which you spied out the land, 40 days, for each of you shall bear your guilt one year, namely 40 years. So you're there 40 days, you're gonna be dying for 40 years, and you shall know my rejection. I reject you, you're not gonna come into the land. I, the Lord, have spoken this, I will surely do all this evil, surely do so to all this evil congregation who are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. Now the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land who returned and made all the congregation complain against him by bringing a bad report of the land, those very men who brought the evil report about the land died by the plague before the Lord. So their day, they didn't wander for 40 years. They, they were done that day. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephna, remained alive of the men who went to spout the land. So they like dropped dead right there. And so here at the end, the people of Israel are like, oh, that's not good. All right, we'll go fight them. It's like, no, you, you've, you've crossed the line. So don't go fight them. The Lord's not going to be with you. The Ark of the Covenant is not going to go, and the Lord's not going to go with you. And so they go out to fight them, and they get driven back by the enemy. They were defeated. And because the Lord's like, no, you've crossed that line, and now you're actually going to act, you're going to all die. So here, here's a little morbid detail. So if there's 1.2 million, so 600 both of men and women who are of that age, over 20, and that means that the time they were gonna be there was gonna be 38 and a half years, so that means 85, um, 85 people would be dying per day. Every day they were out in the wilderness. Wow, that's a lot of, that's a lot of death. And um, this guy goes on to say it gives an average of seven funerals per hour for all 38 and a half years. So they, they, they died in the wilderness. They didn't get to go in, except for Joshua and Caleb. And I'm not going to go much. I'm, I'm going to end right here. But, you know, this is a tragic scene of promise and opportunity and God's blessing. And then because of a lack of faith and belief and rebellion and sin against God, you read through Hebrews, this is the, what we just read. And I wanted to read it all because it's a, it's, these are pivotal chapters. This is the high sin of the Old Testament, is that they didn't believe the Lord. This is how it's picked up and used in the New Testament. They didn't believe the Lord, so they didn't enter in. Belief is key. You can't be saved apart from belief, can you? You can't enter into all that God has. If you don't come to Jesus Christ and put your faith and trust in him, you cannot inherit the eternal life, that place that he's gone to prepare. You must come and you must put your faith and trust in him, that he's gonna overcome your, the enemy of your soul, Satan, who's trying to devour you. He's come to rob, kill, and destroy, but the Lord's come to give you abundant life. You've gotta believe that. You've gotta put your trust and your faith in him. You know, they saw a great deliverance out of Egypt. They passed through the Red Sea. They had all of these experiences. The manna, we've named them all already. All of these amazing experiences, and yet they spent 40 years in the wilderness because they didn't believe God could bring them in. How good of an illustration this is, I don't know, but... I'm going for it anyways. I think that there are so many people 
that have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and they meander their entire Christianity in the wilderness. They never enter in. They never walk into the fullness and the blessing that God has planned for them for one reason or another, but it always comes down to this. It's a lack of belief. Oh no, it's sin. It's, you know, it's this thing, it's that thing. Yeah, but when we sin, it's a lack of faith, isn't it? Every sin is a lack of faith because if I believe God gives me every good and, you know, uh, gift and he pours it down upon me, then I'm not going to give in to temptation. If I believe God gives me the best when I'm tempted to sin, I'm not going to do this. So when I sin, it is always a lack of faith. I don't think that walking in righteousness is the right thing in this relationship. I think I'm going to do it this way. I know what the God's word says, but I'm going to do it this way because, and we give our reasons, it's a lack of faith. It's always a lack of faith. It always comes down to that. We have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We are the... You know, we, we've been given peace. We've been given joy. You know, we've been given all of these things from the Lord, eternal life, his Holy Spirit dwelling in us, power upon us to do the work of ministry, spiritual gifts, all of this. And yet, so many, because of a lack of faith, they don't enter into the blessings that Jesus promised. I've come to give you life and to give you that more abundantly. I'm not saying these individuals are not saved. I'm just I'm saying they're saved, but they don't experience the fullness of it. So God says he wants to give you and does give you an abundant life, that he gives you joy, that he gives you peace, all of these things. It's either true or it's not. It's either true or it's not. And so my encouragement to you is the advice I, I take for myself is when I don't feel those things, and I, it's, you know, anxiety or it's worry or it's fretting or it's fear or whatever, I know that I've got to come back and I've got to recalibrate my heart in the presence of the Lord. And I got to just, what is eating away at this? And I've got to trust in the Lord. And, and listen, it's going to, in most cases, it's going to be a lack of faith on your part that what God has promised he's going to do. So I just encourage you is to enter in in Ephesians, we are told that we've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places can't be stolen in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, then you're given everything. And it's dispensed from heaven to you. That doesn't mean when you get to heaven, you're going to get it. It means it's yours. But you've got to walk it out. You've got to have faith. You've got to trust You've got to let go of, of, of other things. And so I encourage you to be one that presses into the fullness of what God has promised in his word. It's so much. It is so rich. It is so full. I mean, what, what do we read? The, the gospel is the what of God unto salvation? What's the word he uses? Power. Not, not, not the power of Troy or the power of you or the power of all of it. It's the power of the creator of the universe. And the gospel impacts our life. But now we need to walk in the impact of it. And maybe you've, you've wandered far away. You need to come back to the Lord. You need to trust him. You need to rest in him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your kindness, your goodness, your grace, your mercy, your long-suffering toward us. We read about it on Sunday. You hold no good thing. You withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly. Lord, if that's true in the Old Testament, how much more in your son, Jesus, whom you've sent? So Lord, we all are in different places in that journey. And maybe we, some of us will look back and we'll see days when what we've described was more of a reality. It was our experience. And here we are, years later, and it's slipping through our fingers. I pray, Lord, that you would show us the way back. You would show us how to call out to you and how to let go of that unbelief in our life and to cling completely and totally to you. Lord, we want to be people of faith. We want to have a spirit like 
Caleb. Lord, we want to be led by you, but we don't want to be so cautious that we never do anything. So lead us, guide us, Lord, we pray. Put people around our lives that are like Joshua's, or uh, Jonathan's armor bearer that will encourage us as we step out. Lord, there is so much work to be done for your glory, for your kingdom, for a lost world, Lord. And you've given us everything we need to do it. We lack not a single thing here tonight, corporately or individually. But Lord, teach us how to walk in it. Teach us how to appropriate these things that you have given to us. We thank you, Lord.